0: This is a conversation with uh, Jack Rosenberg and Beverly Kiteen Morse. Hi, Jack. Hi, Beverly. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Nice to talk to you.
1: So, you pay a lot of attention to integrating body and mind. Integrating body and mind. When you think of body and mind, uh, uh, body psychotherapy, people often think of something like massage or, or if you have hands on the body and you're touching a lot. And one of the things that we are very, very concerned about is if you do massage, you are in, you're really getting into really close with the client and it it changes the relationship between the client uh, and and the transference relationship. So if we're doing psychotherapy with someone and we're massaging them, it it really changes the way you have function with the client. So what we try to do is a body-mind psychotherapy in which we can work with the body without uh, touching the body as much as uh, most people do when we talk, think in terms of body-mind, psychotherapy. So we have a whole system of working that uh, allows us to open and release muscular patterns and emotional patterns that does not uh, involve uh, uh, what we would call a body-mind, I call it like rolling or massage. Uh, stuff like that. We have stress positions and things like that that we can put people with that would, would allow them to release holding patterns.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so, so we're talking about in
2: a way deeply touching without physically touching. Well, you start first with the relationship uh, between the therapist and and the client, of course. And in, in our training program, in our work, uh, we make sure that. Uh, we as the, the therapists uh, are awakened and integrated ourselves and, and are able to actually make that limbic, uh, energetic connection with people. And when we work with people, we work with uh, the psychology and we work with the breath and we work with movement. And it's rather amazing always to me that, uh, in a very short time, we can help people have an experience of full opening and integration, being really present. If we mean by present, awakened inside, really there in the moment, but also clear of all those implicit and explicit memories that, that create probabilities, that create our, our views, so we want people to have an experience of when they're clear of all that, so we do certain kind of breathing movements after we've talked to them and taught them a little bit about psychology and made a connection with them, so when they have that experience you know that experience that people often have went from uh, uh, the best of yoga, mm-hmm. the best movement and a good run, you know, surfing, many different things that people do. They they have a, 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 that moment of clarity, that moment of well-being and resilience and, and a sense of constancy and, and that's what we do in IBP. We don't want to do therapy from a place where people are masked with the false self. We want to get under the false self, so we bring people to that integrated place and do therapy from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So very clearly that sense of uh, therapy doesn't happen in the false self, and uh, what you're right. doing is help people bring to the present clear of all the implicit and explicit baggage that exists.
2: So- what happens in that uh, type of atmosphere is those old themes will start to come up. Mm-hmm. And when they come up, now they're a little more distant so that people can look at them more clearly. And the breathwork intensifies the material, the memories, the feelings, the emotions, the longings that come up, and they get to bring it up either from their own uh, memory experiences or they sometimes bring it up in terms of the transference, how, how they're feeling towards us and that attachment. Because we know that what we're really working with mostly are those early attachment themes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, um, the, in order to bring people in the present moment and with that clarity, uh, part of the uh, the beginning of the session is going to involve some breathing and some physical exercise?
1: Well, not exactly physical exercise. Uh, we have, I have a uh, number... Of, uh, we teach students to have a number of uh, balls. <laughs> They're really weight balls, weighted balls. And they start with the sixth. Uh, with a six-pound and five-pound foot forward, like that, so that the, the client is lying down, and we put a ball between their legs and one underneath their feet. So now they're balancing, and they're having to to pay attention to hold one be- uh, ball between their legs and one on, on their feet. So as they lie there balancing and holding that ball, one thing they're doing is they're tiring out the adductors of muscles, <laughs> to the pelvis. So they're opening the pelvis by tearing out the adductive muscles. So we're just talking to them, talking about what's going on, and they're lying there, uh, holding the ball with one, two feet, their feet are on a ball, balancing, so that they have to pay attention, and they can't just kind of fall asleep, uh, or they drop the ball. So they, that they they're while we're talking to them, they're opening their body, and when they get too tired, they I put a strap around, and that makes it so that, so to the abductors, you get the abductors. Mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. the Muscles are being tired, and uh, that's how we start. We just, then we're do, of course, we're just talking to them all the time. We're doing that. So we're not touching the body, in a sense. We are touching the body mm-hmm. and doing very profound openings of the pelvis and grounding the uh, person, at the same time, we're talking to them about the deepest parts of, uh, of emotional uh, therapy. Yeah. Well,
2: if we pay attention um, that we know, even if we're not therapists, we haven't done a lot of work, we can meet new people and have um, a pretty good sense of who they are and what they're like and whether they had uh, very good parenting or not. That's pretty obvious because those patterns are, uh, that keep us being certain ways, keeping the old things going, are both in the mind and the brain. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there, those, as we say, that brain mind is throughout the whole body. We know that a lot of those patterns are in the, you know, the physical part of the body. So that's what we're releasing. We're, we're releasing people uh from being caught into the, those implicit early early utero first year of life kind of uh, relationship Good. patterns the patterns we know get set of how how we think about ourselves how we think about others and how we think about the world get set before we really even have explicit memory going mm-hmm. so uh, it 's only through the body that you really can get to those deeper memories because they 're uh, so visceral, so we really work with people paying attention to their body always you know feelings sensations, emotions, images uh, What are you feeling? What are you feeling in your body now what What are you experiencing? And, uh, little by little, all the old memories of early childhood start to come through because most of them are stored not in explicit memory, but implicit. And if you just talk to people, you only have the later memories of uh, children trying to make a coherent narrative out of how they feel. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, so it's really bypassing the uh, layers of coherent narrative that we did, you know, from the time we, even from yep. early childhood on, but to get yep. to that more basic, uh, earlier, pre-verbal, pre uh, uh, experience. You got
2: Michael Ballant wrote a book about the basic fault. Mm-hmm. And it was excellent, and we learned a lot from it. Uh, we use it quite differently because we we are not theoreticians; we're clinicians, so we use it quite differently. but we really look at the very first experiences in utero, and as you know that they're now finding from the research that uh, babies are learning so much in utero because you know um in in utero. What we're experiencing are that emotions are chemicals, so the baby's getting the most chemicals from, from that mommy, that, that closest inside of who mommy is, whether it's safe, whether there's going to be taken care of, and whether there's anyone really there for them, and whether mother has a strong core, and, and is attaching. And so that baby, e- even when it's first coming out, has some sense And it's very profound for people when they realize how early these patterns get laid down. So people start to feel that sort of existential aloneness Mm -hmm. and relationship aloneness. So the two kinds of aloneness kind of merge, holding each other together. Mm -hmm. So that is very powerful. So in the existential, we're all in that together. But in the relationship, you know, we need to have that comfort and soothing and connection from mommy, from daddy, from our caregivers, to not have to feel that void. Yeah, not lost in it. So,
0: so that uh, the experience and the uh, in the work is to be able to connect both to that existential aloneness. Uh, And to uh, what happens in relationship. And then the relationship part is all the ways in which we have been conditioned by our past to deal Mm -hmm. with how to basically make life bearable.
2: And we tend to confuse the two. We tend all uh, very often to confuse existential, transpersonal, spiritual themes with psychological themes. So one of the things that we try to do is separate the relationship psychological themes because those we can really work through existential themes. We really have to to meet and ex- and accept and you know the, the our issues of existence.
0: Yeah. So how would it take place, for instance, uh, you know, is, is there a case or a vignette or something that could illustrate, uh, you know, the difference on a clinical level of dealing with both or, or, or you know, dancing along the fine line between both?
2: Well, the most common probably is that when people start to do this opening, uh, awakening work, they go more towards existential. Often people have... Life crises like, uh, l- losing a loved one, having a serious illness, losing a job, you know, uh, a birth, you uh, know, huge existential issues come up and people are ready to, to more open to existential spiritual themes and they feel the aloneness and they immediately say, uh, he or she is not paying attention or not there, or they suspect them of having an affair or something, and, and it's up to the um, witness, the, the therapist, to be able to have a sense from tone and quality and what else is going on in their life, whether they're really just openings to something mm-hmm. larger than the self, because they've connected to something inside that's very deep.
0: Yeah, so so that, in a way, the... um uh, the question or the inquiry, the curiosity is in the therapist's mind of what am I witnessing, what am I, you know, in, in this relationship with the client, is it something that still is uh, at the relational level of trying mm-hmm. to, to find help dealing with existential crisis in this relation, in relational, or mm-hmm. is it something that uh, getting in mm-hmm. touch with something larger?
2: Just like when, a, a number of years ago, we had a large earthquake about 15 years ago in Los Angeles. People came into our offices, and they looked almost translucent. They were so not in their bodies. And mostly what they wanted to talk about was uh, who was there and who was not there and find a fault with their partners. Mm-hmm. And when we could shift it and, and talk about the existential experience, they were, their hearts were more open. Another way of looking at it is, uh, when we do a lot of couples therapy mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and couples therapy, the, the main issue always is one to pay attention to the probably come in with, but more primarily is to help them have that limbic heart connection. You know, we, we now know that there are uh, limbic fibers around the heart. So we, we know that, um, when someone has been stressed by something, maybe with, they had a hard time with the kids or at work or something, when that happens, uh, the part of our body that usually closes first is our chest, right? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: So when our chest closes and, uh, we come home and look at our partner, we're most likely not going to feel love or attachment. Because our chest is closed, mm-hmm. and so then we start to think, uh, "Well, what's the problem? Have they well, have they done anything to earn our love today?" And or something's wrong with us that we can't love. So we get very confused between uh, existential and uh, psychological. We get confused between the body and, and not thinking. Well, maybe my body's closed. That's why I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. You know, actual reality and relationship.
0: Yeah. So, for instance, um, I want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned the earthquake in uh, Los Angeles and people arriving and, you know, standard normal reaction, something goes wrong, blame, and blame the person close to you, the partner, and so there. Mm-hmm. But you take it as a gateway, uh, and the work is to transform in a way that, uh, you know, blame situation on the relationship, on the partner, to something of a, an expansion to more of a, uh, a consciousness of the existential situation. you got it.
2: Well, and a consciousness and a responsibility for their own one-person problems, yeah. their themes. If they have an abandonment anxiety, uh, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, if they carry that from their childhood uh, at, a, at a 6, let's say. Mm-hmm. All their has to do is a four, and they go ten, ten, ten ten
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, if they do that, their partner's going to think that they 're crazy they 're out of bounds and uh, be defensive, but if they can take care of their six and and only talk about the four they'll they 'll get what they need and have compassion and support from their partner, so whether it 's a student of ours or uh, a, a client, whether we're working with individuals or couples the one of the first things we do is we ask people to uh, th- that the work is always on themselves that um they are responsible for their one-person challenges, right?
0: And so, for instance, in the example of the couple that you mentioned, we describe how physiologically uh, what's happening is there's a problem. the the, the heart is going to you know, to be closed. The chest is going to be closed. Then physiologically, it's going to be harder to relate in an open and expansive way to your partner. And so, okay. by uh, putting the attention and the focus there, there's a sense of giving the person the responsibility for
1: what's happening is their own thing as opposed to your partner and that's why we work with the breath yeah so we, we can lie someone down and, and have them take some breaths and if they take, and as they breathe they change the balance between the sympathetic the parasympathetic nervous system yeah. and we reset it as it were in the session and at the same time they breathe a well, while, they change the balance and then we talk to them about what's going on and then we take some more breaths they and they, if they have the feelings come to the surface, they can take the breath and breathe through them. And and we're working with them with the body. Uh, that's what we call, it, call it integrative body psychotherapy.
0: Yeah. So so what I'm hearing there is a sense of um, that integration is also that in the uh, rhythm of the session. There is um, a dance between the talking and, uh, you know, using conceptual tools and narrative, and at the same time, the work uh, with something like the breathing, in order to notice something, the agency about being able to do something by acting on your body, like changing that Yes, and if
2: if we were yep. working with a couple, we wouldn't have them lie down on the table and do the breathing. We'd have them sit up in their chairs and what we would have them do is uh, uh, breathe and look, use their eyes, look around, get really present, and we would, we would do the presence work until they got really centered and could connect with that I am experience high in their chest, that deeper place in their chest. What we have found doing this work all over the world is that uh, if we say to people, where would you point in your body? If you were going to say, this is me, this is me, and uh, 99% of the people point to the upper center of their chest, and they say, this is me, this is me. So that's where we tend to direct people, even though that feeling can be all over the body, we want them to have an easy access. Right. So we teach people to go back to their center. So when they can find that center, then we have them... um Look at each other, but hold on to their inner center and then just meet halfway and not let go because the the ma- major issue uh with all of us is that uh when we are that little infant, very, very young, we learned that our own inner volition, our core voice, whatever uh, term we want to use to call that inner compass navigation system that makes us the author of our own life, that voice gets quickly compromised by who we attach to, mainly mother, father, and what we have to do in that relationship. Is it okay to continue having that voice and have the bond and attunement? For most people, there is some level of having to uh, numb avoid that inner voice so that they can pay more attention to the other person, uh, usually mom. Uh, maybe mom needs some stabilization. Maybe mom needs you to be a certain way so they can get the love and attention they need. But whatever happens is that people tend to abandon, disassociate from that voice and then listen to other voices that are more relationship voices, that are more surface voices, false self voices. And so uh, the one of the main tasks uh, is to help people come back to that original, deeper, deeper uh, soul, essence, spirit, somatic. somatic sense. So if people abandon that somatic voice mm-hmm. for another, then they will feel... Um, Insecure. They will feel unsure. They will feel often angry, betrayed. Uh, um, and then they go back to the relationship and they think that's the problem or the thing that they've done. They think that's the problem, but the problem isn't the problem. The problem comes back that they have again abandoned their own deeper inner voice, that connection, that somatic connection, that right. integration inside. So, um, for instance, uh, last week, I had uh, a relatively new client who who was doing the breath work on the table for the first time, and he quickly came to a full integration. He was a runner, so he his body was was more adaptable. But, and he kept telling me over and over again everything that his wife was doing uh that that was hostile to him, and I kept saying, "What happened to that?" That inner clarity, mm-hmm. that inner feeling of self, and he'd say, "Oh, okay, and then he'd take some breath back into that place, mm-hmm. and I did that about five times with him every time he he started blaming her for something and he would start to lose his in- integrity. I would say to him, Remember that clarity you were feeling, Where did you feel it? Oh, right here in my chest, okay, can you go back and, you know and feel that pretty soon He said to me, Oh." I don't have to get all upset about what she's doing. I can just go back to my body. I can go back and I feel calm and I feel centered and I don't get pulled into her things.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was a beautiful example. Thank you. And um, I think that what it, it shows a part, maybe I want to try and summarize what I'm hearing, is... Uh, That sense that what the breathing does is it brings you back to that place in the center of the chest, you know, that you mentioned is where we feel we are uh and that place itself and that sensation of i am that's related to the breathing and the openness is also not just about that place in the chest but is actually part of the nervous system uh being uh free from the the push and pull of the uh, uh fight flight um you know actions that have been you know stored in our memory from the past interactions so coming back to that place uh, is a place of actually calming the nervous system to come to a sense of you know who I am, and then from that more yeah. solid, yep. integrated place, be able to face you know dangerous problems in a in a more grounded way. Yeah, we yes. actually
1: call that the "I am"
0: experience. The "I am" experience, yeah.
2: we yes. yeah. we think of that as the essence of being uh the spiritus, that life breath, that breath that comes in, you know, that first breath when we're born, uh, that leaves with that last breath when we die. If anything continues, it's probably that. So we, yeah. we forget often to con- keep connecting with that all in the middle
0: yeah so the i am experience and then you know that sense of the breath related to it and many traditions uh, mm-hmm. think of the breath as the spirit or the etymologically the, mm-hmm. the two words are connected so yes. that's a part that's very central in yes. uh, and that's uh, in that sense of how it's related to the nervous system and in turn to the all the history of early attachment
2: and mm-hmm. uh, and orienting to to the world and the other, one of the other things that we do, we're also a teaching model. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're, uh, we make sure that, that we and our therapists are, are very integrated and grounded and present and have that openness to connect, uh, but still have good boundaries. Uh, but we also, uh, teach, uh, mental health skills and, um, and mostly, uh, about how to, when we sort of, Lose our integration and become fragmented. Uh, we teach steps of getting back because fragmentation has to do with something in the current event that triggers an old theme from our early childhood history. We call that the primary scenario because mm-hmm. it's like inner movie that we keep inside of us that we use as reference for our emotions, making sense out of everything. Mm -hmm. We teach them um, to work in the journal, and we uh, have many tools that we use that would be way too many things to talk about here, but we have many tools we use for people. that they learn to take responsibility for their own mental health. Yeah,
0: so a sense of being able to, uh, when pulled back in the wound, in that primal uh, experience, uh, to be able to step out of it and come back to the present moment. So these tools are ways to... to And to full full integration. To full integration, yeah. both in mind and body. Great, so I wanted to just come back to actually something that Jack mentioned at the beginning. just to, you were mentioning the the session with the person lying on their back, you know with the ball on the feet and, um, and so, I want to just double check. Uh, I know that you Beverly mentioned when it 's a couple they 're sitting, but when it 's an individual are the is the individual spending the session
1: lying down on a table oh, Yes, uh, well, I guess absolutely. Uh, of course, i don't just bring them in and lie them down. I do a, a couple of sessions with them and taking into what we call a scenario or history of their life and what's going on and what they're worried about and what's happening in their life. I usually take about two two sessions, uh, getting acquainted with them and uh, finding out what's going on. And then I say, the next session, you come in and if it's a woman, please wear slacks uh, uh, so that I can put you on the table and we can start to work. And then I have them lie down and I use the... Uh, Ball and uh, put like, have them on the table. Put the feet on on a ball and the ball between their legs that they can hold the ball. Now, the ball holding between the legs opens the pelvis. All all the muscles in the pelvis there get tired, and when they get tired of holding the ball, then I put a strap, in, an elastic strap, and that does the adductors, mm-hmm. and, and and that retires the retires the whole pelvis. So without touching anybody, particularly women. I have done uh, what I used to do uh, by using a, uh my training in, in, with massage, I can do now by not touching them at all and much more effective. Mm-hmm. And I open the pelvis. And, and mostly, emotionally, they get the feeling of, oh, my God. And then they start to talk to you about what it is that's coming up from... Uh, opening moment.
2: And Jack, do you want to talk about one of the things that's different about IVP is that we don't just have people huff and puff and breathe. Uh We make sure that they stay present and connected with us and and, and they stay within that window of tolerance. Yeah.
1: Uh, again, when I say have them breathe, I don't just breathe them up and then down. I take them up and all the time they're working, they're staying with the, with a high charge in the breath, which keeps the parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system going. So they're, they're breathing and they're at a feeling tone in their body so that when you say something or they say something to me, they, they're really emotionally, really charged.
2: Right? We've had so many people come to us from other therapists, uh, that have done, uh, even just meditation work that was, uh, deeper than that person could tolerate. Uh, and we have people who have done uh, a lot of breath work that they weren't encouraged to stay present with the observer, the therapist. The right and right Yes. And so we're very concerned about that because uh, people can get very lost in it. So we make sure that when people do regression, mm-hmm. that they've already learned how to come in and out, Uh, that they've learned how to stay connected. We don't want to send them home in a puddle. We don't want to send them home to get lost in it and to be able to disturb their life because of the therapy they're doing. We only want them to go into as much regression as they can incorporate into their life, into their understanding, and um, be clear and stable and resilient with. Yeah,
0: yeah. So very clearly the focus is on being clear and resilient and so that's uh that's a, that's a means to, you know, the breathing is a means to that end, uh, as opposed to simply getting into whatever level without consideration of whether that's within their bandwidth or not.
1: Yeah, some of that, I, I've, I've had a lot of therapy myself and the, the stuff that had happened in there, I would never treat people like that. It was done many years ago and never, uh, but the, the Rykin therapy I had, I'd scream and yell and did all kinds of things. And that took me uh, sometimes two or three days to recover from the uh,
2: stress. So that it can get. take longer than that. I know we, we've been around doing this for such a long time. We know when people were doing therapy quite differently, yeah. and we know how to blow people open, but then there's a lot of residue, and sometimes people close down much more than they were to begin with, and so, so. it's another injury if we don't take people step by step. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Which, it's kind of work for a long time, which I have, and I, I figured it out it's about forty some years and, now. And you, you start, you, you really want to be careful with people. You're not, you're dealing with a human being, not a not a body out there. Yeah. And so we're we're very careful, and that's one of the reasons I developed the, the system to not do a lot of massage or touching stuff like that with the client, and, and still get the work done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and releasing the spikes, patterns that are in the body. And it's, uh, it's amazing how, uh, rapid that is and how, uh, functional it uh, really, really it makes the, uh, our work as therapists. Yeah. You're not particularly a man working with a woman, uh, you even though I have a secretary sitting right just outside one door, you know. But it's a very delicate kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So. mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's very that sense of um, of respect
1: for the person.
0: Who
1: Absol- with you. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we you can't get yeah. any more conscious mm-hmm. clients, uh, mm-hmm. the therapist than, uh, than we are in that particular way. I don't have people take their clothes off. I, I mean, I have work clothes that can work with, but I don't work with them naked. And I don't. All the stuff that we did back years ago is gone.
2: IBP is both practical and transformational, because we work with you know the the deeper issues and awaken people at at their core. Mm-hmm. And um, when you do that, <clears throat> people make a shift <clears throat> in their state of consciousness, and then you exchange the lens through which you see life through. Yeah. And if you if someone comes in and they're fragmented or they're just in their normal false self um then they will tell you one story. But as soon as you awaken them from the inside and get them centered and grounded and clear, then they will tell you you'll say what's the problem they'll say, "Well, there isn't a problem, but here's what I'd like to look at, and they'll look at it in a very clear sense. so why do therapy from a place that will never get integrated and never will get, um, will, will create that same kind of constancy that it creates when you do uh, the meditation and what we call sustaining uh, constancy exercise. We have an exercise that we have people uh, do in the office and then uh, take home with them. And when people are doing that, this work, uh, they tend to begin, To have that what we call constancy, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: that uh, inner stability, inner clarity, it holds that we have um, most of our people come off of any medications they they were taking before they came to us because they don't need it anymore because they have that inner place to turn to that is stable and resilient and clear.
1: Yeah.
0: So, so that sense of um, you know that helping people develop the ability of sustaining consistency,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, find it, know it, be familiar with it, and they do that <coughs> with us a number of times until uh, until it's so familiar that they can do it on their own. Okay. So, is this is this a good
1: place to end, or would you want to add a little something here? Well, I, I would like to say something more about the sustaining constancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, I'm just trying to go to the other room and get a sheet and hold it up right with that. But, um,
2: but they're not recording.
1: Oh, you can't I'm They're me. not
2: taking the picture.
1: Oh, you are seeing the picture. Right. This is my picture, but don't see that <laughs> <laughs> But the, the, the sustaining constancy, I worked on it for so many years, to, it, it opens every segment of the body. Uh, uh, that you can do for yourself. You can, you do these exercises. That, and so I have printed out mm-hmm. pamphlets of, of plastic that I get as mm-hmm. soon as I get a client that's working. I have given them the sustaining constancy to do for themselves. So they then have something they can do at home. Uh, all I need is a couple of uh, balls and a strap. And they can, at home, Do a series of exercises that clears their mind, clears the body, and makes them feel together. And uh, it's just an amazing set of exercises that uh, what we've been doing for years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So, so I see the part where it's uh, you mentioned uh, Beverly mentioned earlier the teaching model that there's that part of uh, you know the teaching skills. Uh, Yeah.
2: yeah. I would finish probably with. Jack and I are just completing a new book on aging, uh, people 50 and over.
1: It's a whole new world.
2: As we age, we no longer have the body defense systems that the armoring, mm-hmm. we no longer have the, the busy multitasking, uh, we don't have, uh, that, uh, left brain linear, uh clarity and 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 strength that we once had but that allows all sorts of of those unresolved uh holding patterns to open and a lot of feelings emotions and longings come to the surface uh, in a way they never have before and if we think that they're about the present because they don't come saying oh this is a memory it comes with the feeling tone and the fear and the belief, so people think that that is happening now, and it's very important for us to be able to process that if we're to have um, our constancy and resilience and clarity and well being and sense of self in our latter years.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in a way, that 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 uh, uh, that what happens at that age is some of the. Uh, defenses or some of the mechanisms that allow people to override, uh, in a way, some of these issues in earlier life are weakened. And so these issues come to the full force, but that's an opportunity to actually deal with them.
2: It's It's always an opportunity. Every, Every difficulty, every pain, every problem is always an opportunity, and aging is the best opportunity to really clear all of those things up. That's why the sustaining competency is so important.
1: You can give client, uh,
2: a client
1: simple series of uh, brain exercises they do with their body, and they can feel good again and last for a day or two. It's just a, a, an amazing uh, brain
2: exercise. If someone was to have a car accident or drowning, they talk about um, everything flashing, their whole life flashing before their eyes. Yeah. And as we age... Our life starts to flash before our eyes. We need to know that that's what's happening, that it's not about now.
0: Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe that's a wonderful part of, in a way, that we, we loop the loop with, um, it, you know, the stuff that's happening is not about now, and that's where we find the theme that we had as, earlier as well. and yeah. uh, And that integrative approach is to find ways to remember that and deal with
1: it. Yes, yeah. I th- I'm. I, I'm part of the most senior of the therapists around. I'm, uh, next in September, I'll be 80 years old, and uh, I'm still practicing, and I love it, and I just I enjoy it very much. And I'm still as alert as I at least, uh, as I ever was, but I, I feel like I'm a better therapist now because I'm more uh, cognizant of a lot of the stuff that I, I see in people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able to pick up I have a background a whole trash can full of stuff (laughs) it's just amazing
0: thanks Jack, thanks Beverly this recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast see the website relationalimplicit.com
1: Part the most senior of the therapists around. I'm, uh, next September, I'll be 80 years old, and uh, I'm still practicing, and I love it, and I just I enjoy it very much. And I'm still as alert as I at least uh, as I ever was. But I, I think like I'm a better therapist now because I'm more uh, cognizant of a lot of the stuff that I I see in people mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I'm able to pick up, and I have a background, a whole trash can full of stuff. (laughs) It's just amazing.
0: Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Beverly. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.